Welcome to Archery Country Podcast. Welcome everybody to Archery Country Podcast. This is your host Wade Grinniger and this is an awesome, awesome podcast. Glad that you are listening in on it because we are going to do something and talk about something that I'm very, very passionate about. Archery hunting turkeys. Turkey 101 and we have one of the coolest cats in the business here. Needs no introduction, but I love introducing. He's from Minnesota. He shot hundreds of birds with his bow. He shot the Grand Slam. If you don't know what the Grand Slam is, keep listening and we'll tell you. It is a very, very awesome treat to have him. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Matt Dykes is in the house. How you doing, buddy? Pretty good, man. How you doing, Wade? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. We're glad that you're here. And today we're going to talk about the basics of equipment. We're going to talk about elaborate on blinds and decoys and broadheads and bows and this and that and everything else. But we're also going to talk about mistakes. We're, you're going to have a little training session. You're going to help us out. And you've been everywhere. You've done everything. But before we get into turkey hunting, give us a little background about you. Uh, you know, how you grew up, your introduction to archery and hunting and turkey hunting, especially in the shop here. And just give us a little lowdown. Yeah, well, yeah, thanks. Uh, I uh, grew up in Minnesota. Uh, starting out hunting, I was always into upland bird hunting. That's always what uh, my dad, uh, you know, raised me and, and brought me with uh, going pheasant hunting, grouse hunting, doing all that good stuff. Uh, I can remember, you know, ever since I was three, four years old, I was always be excited to walk along with my dad and just just be out there and, and, uh, and really, uh, just experience, you know, something I love to do. Uh, probably in regards to turkey hunting itself, I remember I was about 13, 14 years old. And, uh, this is back when I used to shotgun hunt. I remember, you know, first time going out, uh, with my dad and, and neither one of us at the time really knew anything about turkey hunting. It was like, okay, well you, you go out there and you do some calling and, and put some decoys out and you sit there and hopefully one walks in and you, you blast them, <laughs> hopefully. right? You know, that, yeah. and that's, and that's all I really knew. And that's all either one of us uh, really knew. And we, you know, learned quite a bit together and to be perfectly honest with you, it, it wasn't like, uh, you know, I started out like I just right away had success. Uh, so it was, uh, took me five years even to get one with a shotgun. Okay. Um, so it wasn't like I just, you know, picked it up right, right away. It was like, there's a lot of screwing up, not knowing what the heck was going on. And, and, um, so I, I think when I was about 18 or 19 years old, I shot one with a shotgun. It was just a Jake, you know, but it was, it was a big deal to me. Yep, you know, it's, absolutely. Just, it, it's hunting and, and, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's an accomplishment. It's something I was really pumped about. Uh, probably when I was about 19, a uh, good friend of mine, Richie Kroger actually, uh, introduced me to bow hunting. I, I didn't know anything about bow hunting back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of started, started bow hunting a little bit and, just kind of made up my mind that I want to bow hunt turkeys mm-hmm. and uh, to be perfectly honest. I was awful at it to begin with. Just, just awful at the know? hunting part or shooting a bow. Oh, ju- not shooting a bow, but I mean, I, I, I had turkey hunted. I shot one turkey in my life with a shotgun right. and it was another what, three or four years before I ever shot one with a bow. Um, crazy. I would have never thought that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it wasn't, it wasn't like I just, you know, figured mm-hmm. it out right away. Um, and so, I mean, I just, I just made up my mind that was something I wanted to work really hard at. Um, you know, and it wasn't just like I picked it up and had spots to hunt or it was, uh, literally I was probably a 21, 22 year old kid and, uh, just said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go figure this out. So mm-hmm. I packed my truck and drove 700 miles across the country and started knocking on doors. Um, it was, you know, different states, whether it's Kansas or Nebraska. And I, I have relatives, a few different states. And 
um, just finding places to hunt. And, and I, I tell you one time I went down, um, and it was, it was, I was probably 23 and, and I thought I had everything figured out because I I had uh, turkey hunt in the spring, shot a couple birds down there finally. And, and I was like, all right, well, I kind of know what they do. I kind of know the property. And I, I went down there in the fall. So I'll drive 700 miles mm-hmm. where I was hunting and I hunted for five days and did not see a turkey. Mm. So that was uh, a learning curve, a learning experience. <laughs> I would say. But but you look back and you learn like that's that's where you came from. That's where, yeah. you know, it's, it's uh, I learned something from it. You learn like, okay, animals move. They right. don't just hang out in the same place all year. They don't. Uh, um, so, and I think that's intriguing to listeners is it wasn't instant gratification. No. It wasn't like first trip out, shoot a bird. Second trip out, shoot a bird. Like no. you, you stubbed your toes yep. and, and drug your knuckles for a long time before you had yeah. things going on yep. and then in the meantime like your archery then did you incorporate that into whitetail woods and everything else or were you just strictly turkey hunting at the back then well believe it or not the first thing I ever well first thing I, I shot with a, a bow was a I shot a deer when I was I think 21 and then I had very little uh you know I, I don't want to get too off topic here but I had very little you know archery experiences I've I practiced a lot of shooting but uh as far as actually uh bow kills I didn't have a whole lot of experience. Well, next thing I shot with a bow was a 500 pound black bear. Mm. So, <laughs> so, so I go out with my dad and, you know, I, the first night, you know, I, it was, it was just this giant bear and, you know, he runs off in the woods and we're tracking this thing in the dark and he's like, well, is he dead? And neither one of us had ever tracked really anything with a bow and we're, at, we're walking through the woods at the 357 wondering, you know, what's going to yeah. happen, you know? Uh, but anyway, so yeah, it was, it was, uh, you know, it's like, I did integrate a lot of different, um, things as far as bow hunting. I mean, obviously, you know, whitetail, uh, did a lot of black bear hunting, uh, everything's from hogs, javelinas, um, uh, all different kinds of things, you know, right. bobcats, coyotes, whatever, you know, d- just different things that I've, you know, tried to shoot or at least with a bow, just, right. it's what I love to do. You're, yep. you're in the same, 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 you know, same mm-hmm. boat as far as I don't really have any desire to shoot anything with a rifle anymore. Right. I'd rather bow hunt, yep. you know, and, and it's nothing against this podcast for those of you that are listening. We're not, we're not at all in any time. If we throw some slang out there about gun hunters, we're not against it. No. Like we were brought up that way. It's just, a, it's a choice now. I mean, I work in a pro shop. We shoot 3D archery events together. We see each other. It shoots all over. Like it's just a passion. Yeah. That's what we choose. Yeah, absolutely. Gun hunting. And let's face it. If you're going to go turkey hunting and you want to use a gun, by all means, go yep. get some camo and a decoy and a box call and go do it. But. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll even point out one thing. I mean, if you're going to turkey with a bow, I mean, it, it is difficult. It does take uh, a lot of being able to get kicked in the teeth and get back up. I mean, you look at, think of the, you know, any, any of these uh, guys on TV that are actually world renowned bow hunters with, mm-hmm. with, with for deer, right? Yeah. There's a very short list of them that strictly only bow hunt turkeys. Those guys, spring comes around, they'll pick yep. up a shotgun. Oh yeah. You know, and it's, it's a, uh, I mean, there's uh, a lot of skills you have to develop. It's not just a shot in the shot placement beacon shooter. There's a lot of different things you have to pick up. Now, guys that uh, bow hunt turkey strictly, I don't see one of them that goes and gun hunts a deer because mm-hmm. it's it's difficult. I mean, yep. there, there's a lot to it. Uh, so it's, you know, but it's it's all about, you know, what makes you happy. And I have some very close friends and coworkers of mine that I, I've called for that love shooting with a shotgun. Mm-hmm. That is as, as every bit as much fun to me as going out and shooting one myself, just seeing, a, you know, somebody else yep. be happy and have a great time. So that's, that's what hunting is about. And that's what it should be about. So. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dive into turkey hunting. Okay. We have a lot of clients that are just now getting into it. They've been shooting their bows and they're like, you know, how can I expand my season? 
Yeah. We say turkey hunting. Yeah. No. It's a general, it has grown immensely in the state of Minnesota over the last uh, 15, 20 years. I'd say it's really, it's quadrupled in numbers. Well, yeah. I mean, when I first started turkey hunting, you could only hunt the southeast part of Minnesota because that's the only place where birds were as a lottery. Yeah. Um, and now it's like, you, I would say 75% of Minnesota has turkeys in it it's at, in, in, mm-hmm. in some some areas. Um, and it's a lot more accessible. A lot more people are getting into it, which is great to see. Um, so, yeah, it's it's it's, it's really grown. Um, you know, and, and it's, uh, it's a thing depending on the state. I mean, if you want to expand your season, no, that's turkey hunting is my main focus as far as hunting goes. But, I mean, I whitetail hunt, bear hunt, all kinds of other stuff. But, uh, I mean, when I think about it, I was just counting the other day. I've, I've shot turkeys in eight different months out of the year. So, I mean, depending on where you're hunting. You Crazy. Know, it's, it's uh, I mean, there, there's you can do it essentially almost year-round in different right. places if it's something you love to do. Now, it's a different yeah. tactic and everything you use right. depending on the time of right. year. But, but absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of people don't even realize that you can hunt turkeys in the fall. Yeah. You know, they think it's just uh, peak breeding or when they're strutting around and do that. But you can hunt them, like you say, you'd, you've shot birds eight months of the year. Yep. In different states and so on and so forth. Yeah. So if I was to find you the morning before, the morning you're going to leave, mm-hmm. or the day before, and you're going to pack your truck, yeah. give me just a general on what, and this is strictly archery, what a newbie and maybe veterans that know what they're doing, maybe some items that they're missing. But we'll, And this is going to be a little bit lengthy, but just kind of run down, obviously, archery, a bow, but yeah. just, just run through that stuff. Well, I mean, the number one uh, key thing is uh, uh, Lucky Charm's Mott's Medley's Fruit Snacks. They're, 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 they're excellent, and, uh, you know, they're handy to keep in your pocket when you're hunting. Fruit snacks. Yeah. A uh, little disclaimer, we don't sell them here at the shop. Yeah, but, but no, I'm just I'm just kidding. Well, I, I, I am actually only partially kidding because they're, they're excellent. But in, anyways, uh, so, no, if, if, if I was going to pack my truck, uh, I think what you're asking is if, if I was going to pack my truck, what it's – what, what I'm going to put in my truck for yep. like a bow hunting turkey yep. right? So what I'm going to pack, uh, number one, obviously my bow. Yeah. I'm going to have a ground blind. I'm going to have my decoys. I'm going to have binoculars. I'm going to have my range finder. Um, and I'm going to have my calls. I mean, that's, okay. that's, that's your basic, you know, your ba- basic things that you need for turkey hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if it, depending on how in depth you want me to get, you know, I can go into, you know, what direction, you know, wh- whatever direction we're going to go with this, um, you know how in depth you're what i think i think what we'll do is like tell me what items we need and then we'll break down each item you know uh, for example like you just said blind and everything else are you bringing camouflage for when you're running and gunning are you bringing black when you're sitting in the blind like what's your arsenal of clothing well as far as clothing goes i mean it's it's mostly black the main thing you're to focus on is the top half of your body being black uh black hat or, or dark clothing yeah um I don't wear a face mask personally. I used to, but I have found that that uh, has interfered with my anchor point. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a reason I, I don't do that. I use face paint. Um, and uh, so, I mean, as far as clothing goes, I, I do have camo. Uh, so when I'm out of the blind, I don't do a whole lot of running and gunning. That's just not my style. I mean, I've done it before. I yep. occasionally do you know, some of the turkey reaping and stuff like that. But it's all dependent on the time of the year, the scenario we're in. It's more of like a last day ditch effort type thing for me because the moment you go um, doing stuff like that, you're putting yourself at a lot of risk for disturbing um, their patterns. You know, if you go bust up a group of birds and you're not successful, well, you just screwed up their pattern. They're not going to do the same thing every day. You right. know, that's so my tactic is more, um, you know, like a, a lot of observation and kind of watching what they're doing. But back into the clothing part, yeah, I, I would say that uh, we're a lot of black. Um, and then you just have camo as well. And the reason we're wearing dark colors or black in the blind 
Yep. Uh, if people, if you don't know this, turkeys can see color, <clears throat> yep. and they're very prone to pick stuff out that's not norm. Yes. Uh, if if you've never been in a group, a gaggle of turkeys, yeah. you're going to have a lookout. You get a rat pack come in, there's always going to be a lookout all yep. the time. I don't care where you're at, what time of the year, there's a lookout. Yeah. And they will pick stuff up. If you're wearing glasses in a blind and you get glare from the sun, I've seen it happen. Uh, little things like that. That's why we're wearing dark colors in the blind, right? Because you're sitting yep. in the back or uh, sitting or kneeling in the portion of the blind where you're going to be dark and you don't want to yep. have anything vibrant. Yeah, absolutely. And that's and that's why, like, when you set up a ground blind, if you have a choice, you want to set up um, with the sun at your back uh, so that you're in the shadows. And, and when you're where you're sitting in the blind or when I shoot, I always shoot kneeling because mm-hmm. um, it gives makes it <clears throat> makes it more versatile as far as, you know, different windows you can shoot out and, and ways you can, um, you know, uh, get, get get a shot at a bird. Um, I always keep that in mind as well. And then, uh, as far as uh, the main, the main, you always want to wear dark colors if you can. But I mean, the main thing is movement. So if you're sitting still, even if you don't necessarily have the the best of colors, uh, you know, you can a lot of times get away with different things if you're sitting still. It's it's, it's more about movement than is color. But having dark clothing, you know, black face paint, black hat, uh, anything in your upper body is black. Um, it's going to give you more of a benefit uh, as far as not getting busted. But, I mean, that being said, it's not foolproof. Mm-hmm. I've still gotten busted sitting still wearing black. It, it <laughs> yeah. happens, you know, like, right. like okay, that guy should not be sitting there you know, <clears throat> you know, right. with his bow at full draw looking at me. So, so that, that happens too. So let's break down. We'll start with the bow. Yeah. Okay. Um, you shoot, and the reason I know this is because we set up your bows. Um, you shoot the same poundage. Is it the same setup you shoot all year? Um, I actually have two different setups. Uh, I mean, when you travel a lot across country, um, I haven't, I've been lucky enough that I haven't had it be an issue, but I mean, you, you have something happen on your bow, uh, you know, whether it's your rest goes bad, you, you know, or, or anything happens or you bump your sight, bump your rest or anything can happen. I want to have a spare setup because you don't ever know. I mean, I'm out in the middle mm-hmm. of nowhere. You, I don't know where the next closest reputable archery shop is out in the middle of right. Highland America. Yep. Um, and that's essentially, even if you have to go there and do that, even if they have some you know, place available, you ruin a day of your hunting. Yep. Gone. So yep. I always have two setups. <clears throat> I, I primarily have one setup for, uh, for turkeys. And then my other setup I use for mainly in the fall for whitetails, bears, antelope, okay. uh, things of that nature. So, so run us through your setup, your turkey setup. Um, just start with your site. Okay, so what I have for a set of my turkey setup, uh, and this this is my thought process behind it, and it's not right or wrong. Everybody mm-hmm. has a different opinion, but I'm going to tell you what my opinion is and why. So what I have is a black gold single pin uh, ascent bow sight. And my thought process behind that is um, it's not like deer hunting to where you might have a deer in the rut that's that's trotting through and you, you range him and he's at 23. All of a sudden he takes a few more steps and, and follows a doe and he's at 28, right? Um, if you have a single pin, you might get in the uh, dilemma of having to change where your pin's at and everything. You know, you just don't have time to do that. So right. for, for me, in my mind, if I'm if I'm bow hunting deer, it's more beneficial to say, okay, well, he's about 28. Now I'm just going to put my 30 on him and let him have it. Right. right? Yep. So it, for, for turkeys, you typically have a little bit more time to where – um, you're going to be able to range them, say, okay, he's at 27 yards. You can move your pin. Um, and I have the, um, the sight tape setups, which I know you guys still print those out here to where uh, the, uh, what is it called? The, the pinwheel mm-hmm. or the pinwheel or the archer's advantage where you can actually enter in everything from um, your arrow, your, your, your fletchings, your all kinds of different things to where you actually have your setup configured, you know, to exact ranges. And yep. I mean, last year, the furthest... T- 
a distance I shot a turkey was 61 yards. So I range him. He was hung up when coming in, I mm-hmm. put it, you know, put it to 61 and, you know, uh, drilled them. But that being said, it's not like I make every 60 yard shot. I miss right. a lot of 60 yard <laughs> shots <laughs> yep. too, you yep. know, that's yep. going to happen. So let's, let's move on to uh, like the rest, like I'll drop away rest. Um, you know, you have, uh, uh, like the vapor trail one I got on here right now. I think, uh, you know, drop away rest is key. Um, and then, uh, also, uh, Use a good release. I shoot a Carter right now. Um, and then another thing that I make sure to do that not necessarily everybody else does is I have a seven arrow quiver. Uh, because if you turkey hunt enough, you're going to miss a lot. No matter how good a shooter you are, you're going to miss yeah. a lot. Uh, you're going to need some follow-up yeah. shots. Mm-hmm. You're going to be walking out sometimes in the dark and uh, bump arrows out of your quiver. And then <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden, you only got a few left. Uh, so I do like having a lot of arrows. And for turkey hunting, I do shoot a black bow on purpose uh, because that's, uh, you know, the, the color of the blind, it's going to be darker. Yep. I don't know how much difference it actually makes, but it's just right. one more thing that I just, one more detail I add into it as far as that goes. Do you shoot, is your, do you shoot with the quiver off? Yes. Okay. Yep. So you take it off and set it in the blind. Yes. You usually have arrows ready and one knocked. Yep. So I have one, have one knocked and then I set my, set my quiver, you know, in a corner of the blind, I have a couple arrows uh, popped out, ready to go. Happens so often, whether you end up shooting a double, a follow-up shot, you miss the first shot. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I, like I said, I, I take pride in being a good shooter, but I'm humble enough to admit that I've missed some easy, easy shots. You know, <laughs> yeah. it, it happens. That's, if you that's watch, reality. Uh, if you watch Archery Country YouTube, then you see uh, one of our fearless leaders uh, in one of his hunts, how many arrows it took. Yep. We're glad he had an arrow full, or yeah. quiver full of arrows. Yep. yep. What are you doing for, are you hanging your your bow, or do you have a kickstand? set up or do you use like a, a standoff of your stabilizer what do you do for your bow um me personally I, I i've experimented with a lot of different things but really what it just what i usually do is i just kind of um excuse me i uh lean my bow up just against the, the wall inside the blind i'll go up against one of the hubs mm-hmm. and then what i'll do to make sure no dirt and stuff gets inside my cam is i'll put like the the blind bag or just a piece of clothing or something that I rest my bow on top of. I gotcha. Um, that way when you pick it up, it makes it a little bit quieter too. So you're not, mm-hmm. not rubbing up against the ground or you don't got a bunch of dirt and leaves on your bottom cam and messing with it there. Right. And there, there are some aftermarket setup. There's some bow companies out there that they design a, a limb leg, we call it, um, yeah. where you can shoot with it on. Okay. But other than that, like <clears throat> one of our, or we sell a lot of is a quick stand, but you want to take it off. And that's one more movement that could be a little bit more noise. There's also some companies out there that make stands that come off your stabilizers. But another thing about that is you're setting your cam in the wet grass or the mud or the dirt where you're going to want to put something under it. Yep. But I like I like your your idea of just setting it there where you can deal. And this this brings up a great topic when you're in the blind. I know we're going off topic of that. But you mentioned it already. You kneel. Yep. So you have knee pads. So I, when I started out hunting, I mean, I would, I would shoot sitting down in a chair and kind of what I found is that, uh, you don't want to pigeonhole yourself in any way, shape or form when it comes to turkey hunting. And what I mean by that is you don't want to plan on, okay, it's, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen shooting out this window. I'm going to be sitting right here and this is the way it's going to go down. Because mm-hmm. if you do that, you're going to miss out on about 50% <clears throat> of the opportunity. So if you kneel, um, I wear knee pads and what I would suggest is get ones, you can just go to like Lowe's or somewhere mm-hmm. like that. Get ones with hard bottoms that aren't rounded. So you're not rolling around on your knees as far as that goes. And gotcha. then you're stable. Yep. Um, 
And uh, it just makes it so that, you know, you got you know, different places you hunt. You got locust thorns and things like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't want to be kneeling on those. And just do you practice kneeling down? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yep, okay. yep. So I just practice, you know, standing, shooting, kneeling, uh, you know, different different types of scenarios, um, you know, out of a blind, out in the open, just kind of uh, making sure I understand um, what it's going to be like shooting in different scenarios and, and how I need to go about it. Gotcha. And we'll go back to that. That has more to do with the blind and, and placement, and we'll get to that. Yep. This is going to be a key part of the podcast two key parts first let's go back to the site yep there's one item i have on my bow yep you've learned the hard way like yep. all of us have what's one item that you would not forget one item that i would specifically not forget is a sight light um and the reason i mentioned that is because when you're in a ground blind um it's really hard for your sight for that fiber optic to pick up enough light um, so where you can see your pin and when you got your adrenaline going, you're at full draw, you're not going to be thinking, Oh, I can't see my pin. I can't see my pin. You're just going to say, okay, well, he's at 10 yards. Let's let him have it. Um, I can think back to a trip I did. This is probably three years ago. I almost just packed up and went home. I was so frustrated, but I didn't really realize what was happening until after I, you know, I thought about it and put two and two together mm-hmm. is I actually just nicked, uh, like three different birds within 15 yards in, in a matter of a day and a half. Uh, because I was at full draw and I didn't realize it, but I couldn't really see my pin. Um, I got the pin I have is a vertical pin okay. and I couldn't see the fiber optic. And it was at, you know, they're, they're in my decoys yep. and I'm shooting and I'm just nicking the bird low in the breast or just getting feathers. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And then I, you know, you get out your target and you practice right. shooting. You're like, well, I'm right on what's going on. Yeah. So what happens is when you're at full draw and you're just looking and all you see is that post there, your brain just like going to pick out a spot on that post and shoot. Well, the that fiber optics at the top of that post right your brain's just going to pick out a section of that post that's probably be in the middle and you're going to shoot and if it was a white tail or a bigger animal it's not gonna be a big deal you're never right. gonna think about it you know yep. two or three inches is never a big deal on a turkey that's a big deal you know Very. so i will make sure um and i and i still you know forget to sometimes all of a sudden you know turn my sight light on when they're coming in or or, or different scenarios like that and mm-hmm. and there's times where <clears throat> Does it matter as much? No, because it's so bright out or middle of the day where right. it's not as critical. But there's a lot of scenarios where it's it's lower light settings and it's something you don't necessarily think about. Um, you have to make yourself do it um, to make sure that, that you have is definitely a sight light on your, on your bow. Yep. And I've even seen to the extent some guys will have a little sticky note on the riser yeah. <clears throat> and it'll say light. Yeah. Not only for turning it on, but also shutting it off yeah, <laughs> when you're yeah. done. Yep. But that's a very, very important key. And there are some states you have to you have to read your regulations on having a sight light. I yep. don't know why. I don't get it yet, but I'm not we're not, we won't go down that path. So just yeah. check your regulations if you're going to a state that may or may not allow you to use that. Yeah, absolutely. There's gonna be a gaggle of listeners that are listening to this podcast for one reason. Right now in the archery world, everybody and their sister and their aunt and their grandma are worried about arrows what yeah. arrows are we shooting turkey hunting i know you among some others not a lot but have extensively researched this yep what are we running for an arrow setup so i've shot everything from mechanicals to fixed blades uh, i'd probably say i've over the years uh, probably tried about 20 different models of broadheads uh, mm-hmm. shooting turkeys um Shot fixed, fixed blades, shot mechanicals. When I started out, I actually used to, I, I don't recommend it, I don't do it anymore, uh, used to shoot through the mesh on the blinds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found out the hard way that that does uh, change the course of your arrow, mm-hmm. even at short distances. Um, and I used to shoot some fixed blades for that. But 
what I've come up with now and just through the research I've done and just, just through experience and just kind of being aware of always what's out in the market in the industry is there's, there's two ones I'd say I'm, I'm partial to, uh, right now. Um, number one, I've probably shot more birds with, uh, the Grim Reaper whitetail special. What that is, is that's a three blade, uh, two inch cut, uh, mechanical broad at hundred grain. Um, so y- the idea behind turkeys, you have a small kill zone, um, you know, and, and you want your arrows to fly as well as possible using a mechanical, you know, it's not going to play in like a, like a fixed blade can. Um, you want to have just a big cutting surface because it, they're, they're as tough as any animal to take down. And I, and I, mm-hmm. I mean, people, people that have done it before might think like, oh, that's, you know, it's a 20 pound bird. You, right. you, you know, you, you, you'll be fine. <clears throat> they're tough. Um, yep. they don't, they don't bleed out and go into a shock like, uh, like a deer does. They're either. Yep still alive and ready to run when you try to go pick them up or they're dead. It's, yep. it's, it's one or the other. Um, so I do like that one. I know you guys carry one. I, uh, tried out last year and actually really liked it a lot. It's, it's that whitetail special still. It's a, it's 125 grain. It's up. It's a, a four blade. Yep. Um, and so what I do, uh, currently for my setup is I kind of figured out it's, it's 25 grains heavier. So I would say first thing in mind, I said, okay, well, what's it going to do at 20 yards? Right. Yep. So I just kind of figured out on my particular setup that if I move it to the 23 yard mark, I'm right on with that 125 grain tip. So that's, gotcha. a, that's a four blade, two inch cut. It's huge. Um, it's, it was absolutely devastating. And um, I know some guys are going to get on the Grim Reaper website right now and yep. look it up. You can't find it because it's made for our tree country and our tree country only. Yep. And we will have them in stock. Yep. Um, but in the broadheads that he's talking about right now, and I know there's more, these are called over the top broadheads. Yep. The way that they open is the blades come back over the top of the ferrule, and then <clears throat> when they're fully deployed, you're gonna have the chisel tip out front, and then they're going through the bird. Correct. Correct me if I'm wrong, or tell me, is penetration like? Are we worried about blowing through the bird? Are you? Are you worried not so much about it? Why? Why? Why do you go an over the top versus like a slip cam design? Well, to, to be honest with you, it's, it's not really, uh, for turkeys in particular, it's not really on purpose, um, as far as that goes, because the, the other one that I do like is the, um, the G5, uh, mega meats, okay. which is yep. a three blade, two inch cut as well. And they're actually, um, rear <clears throat> deploying instead of front deploying. Now, personally, I've had better success with not getting a pass through. Mm-hmm. And then what I mean that by that is that's a positive thing. A lot of times if you don't get a pass through on a turkey, because they're probably not going to run as far with an arrow on them versus if you put a hole in them and they run off, they're not yep. always easy to find. You can't blood track them as easy as you can a deer. So I don't, I wouldn't say necessarily I'm, I'm particularly partial one way or the other on turkeys, whether it comes to over the top or rear deploying. But, uh, as far as, um, concerns with penetration i don't have any i mean i've shot those uh, over the top uh, grim reapers uh, and killed turkeys you know went right down within uh, 15 yards i shot uh, for this one was like 75 yards i shot one at mm-hmm. you know got you know plenty of penetration went through the wing bone into the vitals it wasn't an issue at all the one got last year at 61 yards um he ran like 15 yards and tipped over you know and that went through some pretty heavy bone and everything so that penetration from that aspect was in, in my mind is not not that big of a deal and let me ask you this, because you shoot 70 pounds year round yep. or more, maybe. Yep. <clears throat> Do you shoot a fast arrow, a light, fast arrow, maybe a little bit of front of center? 
Yes, a- actually I do. So um, on, on turkeys, I actually shoot a little bit lighter air. Now, the front or center thing, having a little bit of weight up front with, like, the outsert, I like the VAPS. So, like, the standard VAPS is what I shoot on turkeys. Mm-hmm. My setup's right around a 375-grain arrow. Um, that's that's fully assembled everything uh, with the broadhead and everything. Um, and uh, the, just my thought process behind that is, well, if you miss a turkey, it's probably going to be your up and down because it's a lot smaller target than a deer is. Yep. So the flatter shooting arrow that I have, the more successful I'm going to be as long as I have plenty of penetration with, you know, 375 grains shooting 70 pounds. Not to say you have to shoot 70 pounds. There's mm-hmm. people that right. yep. are successful, uh, you know, shooting, you know, 50, 60 pounds. Yep. Um, and and if, to elaborate on that too, um, if you're shooting lower weight, you know, probably a fixed blade would be better to, better for you. So if you're right. uh, somebody that doesn't pull a lot of weight, uh, maybe you go with uh, maybe a 45-pound setup, a lighter arrow, and you can shoot a fixed blade and get plenty, plenty of penetration. And the reason we're saying on a fixed blade yeah. is because a mechanical will rob kinetic energy. Absolutely. Okay? No, fa- no matter how fast or no matter what number, sequence, or what ranch dude you listen to, a mechanical... <laughs> don't even, don't even start know. with me. <laughs> he's, he's oh, my but anyways... Wow. Um, that's why we're saying fixed blade is because you're not robbing and it's a cut on contact and we're getting in the wound channel just to bring everybody back on par when we're talking the kill zone if i say a softball i'm exaggerating yeah like it's little itty bitty kill like vitals okay everybody sees especially first timers they see a bird that is strutting a tom yep and they're like oh i got a beach ball to hit (laughs) no you got the blow up stem that you're going to put air into the beat. That's all you got. Like, yeah. Um, I've been pretty good. I don't get me wrong. I've lost some birds. Yep. It happens. I've had birds fly away. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't shot near the numbers you have. So your numbers will be a little bit more, but that's, you know, we're in comparison. It's going to happen. Yeah. But that's why we shoot big mechanicals, maybe for a little bit of a band aid, but we're cutting. It's hammering. We're doing it. Yeah. But I shoot. As fast of an arrow as I can get safely, uh, you know, and I'm right there in that same the the same spec. I got a little bit longer draw length than you, so I get a little more speed. But I'm anywhere from 380 to 400. Yep. My, that's my arrow build for turkeys. Yeah, shooting 305 to 315 feet per second. Yeah, because I like you. I want to use one pin. Yep, and I can cover a lot of distance with one pin, and if I need to. There's two animals in the world that I would shoot an extremely fast light arrow at, a turkey and an antelope. <laughs> yep. Because sometimes you're going to need flat shooting arrows. You know, you're not going to yeah. arc them. But thank you for covering that part of it. Yeah, absolutely. So broadheads, arrows, bow, <clears throat> release. We talked about all that. Basics, you can use the same setup that you for deer. There's absolutely nothing to it. Broadheads, I would get a little more in-depth. Maybe come into the shop, talk to us, talk to you, get in touch. We kind of covered the bow part of it. Yeah. We talked a little bit about camo. Let's uh, let's break down some more equipment, okay? Yeah. The big trend right now, let's save the blind for a little bit. Yeah. Decoys. Yeah. They're a must. In your mind? Yeah, year-round even. And quality of decoy. Yep. So what I run for decoys, and I've run them for years, I use the Dave Smiths. And I have, uh, I have four different ones. Uh, so I have a feeding hen, I have an upright hen, I have a Jake, and I have a strutting tom. Okay. Um, and it just, it, it'll depend on the scenario, time of year, just kind of what I'm seeing the birds do if you have to, you have to mix things up. 
Um, and I just over the over time, I've seen just different reactions based on different setups. Now, if somebody were to ask me if you could only use one decoy year round, and mm-hmm. it's all you could use is one decoy at any time of year, what would you use? My answer would be a strutting tom. Um, even in the fall, the, actually, the last bird I shot uh, back in October, I had a strutting tom out, and I knew where you know a group of toms were hanging out. And mm-hmm. it was the fall; it's not breeding season. Yeah, they came in to beat that decoy up. Really, in the fall. And I've seen it happen, uh, and it's not going to be as frequent. It's not going to be usually as in how aggressive they get um, or as frequently as they get aggressive. But I've had it happen when it was I, was I was hunting in Nebraska one year in January, and it was probably five degrees out. And I just had a, I had a Jake decoy out and a hen decoy out, and they came in to beat up that Jake. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, breeding size, you know, breeding <clears throat> season's nowhere nowhere near. Right. And they're still aggressive. I mean, the pecking order is still a, a thing year-round for yep. that. Absolutely. Um, now, when it comes to decoys, uh, one thing I want to focus on is how critical it is, which way you face the decoys. And, and I, I grew up, I guess I used to watch all those double bull videos with the Keith mm-hmm. and Brooks, you know, I always love watching those guys videos. And I said, you know, I want to do all that kind of stuff someday. Right. And, uh, and, uh, a lot of guys always preach facing the decoys at the blind. The whole idea is the decoys looking away from the birds at the blind. It makes a bird come around between the bird, between your decoy and the blind. So you get a closer shot. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about hen decoys, that's absolutely the correct way. Yep. If we're going with a, a male, like a Tom decoy, I try to face the decoy, the direction where I think the birds are coming from. They're going to be facing the bird. So that's like okay. that bird's not afraid of them and it's going to, you know, you know, egg them on to, you know, come in and, you know, see, see what happens. Um, also as far as decoy placement goes. So let's just say I'm, I'm facing one direction, you know, looking at my blind where I think my shot opportunity is going to be. And I think, you know, I got, I got some birds roosted, maybe 200 yards to my right. Uh, if I'm looking straight up my blind, I will set my decoy slightly off to the left. So that way, if the birds see the decoys, they come in and they decide, they get maybe, you know, 20, 30 yards from decoy say, well, I'm not sure I want to commit. Mm-hmm. That way they're not hanging up way out 50 yards away from the blind. They're hanging up at, you know, 20, 30 yards and you still yep. get a shot at them. So that's just kind of a, just a, just a basic tactic. Now things happen to where you, you know, they don't necessarily do what you want them to do or what you think they're going to do, but that's just uh, one frame of mind that I go into or that I try to, you know, uh, you know, as far as my setup goes that I like to uh, make sure I do. Mm-hmm. Um, also for, for, for decoying, I, I think it's absolutely critical. So if you have a group of birds patterns, let's just say you have a, a Tom or a group of Toms or a group of turkeys that are walking, say, let's just say a fence, they're walking a fence line every day. Um, and they're walking that fence line. The last thing that you want to do is put your decoys right where they usually like to walk. So the way a turkey thinks is it's, they think of things in terms of like when when you deer hunt, right? Mm-hmm. Do you ever set your deer decoy in the middle of the trail? Mm-mm. Okay, because why? Because you know you might see it and say, "Well, I don't like this. I'm going to go the other way." Turkeys have a pattern. They say, "Well, if I don't like something, I'm just going to go the other way and, and not not continue going that way." <clears throat> so it's good to set decoys out, but don't necessarily put them right where the birds always like to walk because you're taking away the one advantage you have. If you have a group of birds patterned and they like to walk somewhere, you still want to set decoys out. Just don't put them right exactly where they want to walk because let's just say your decoys don't work. Well, you didn't, then you didn't scare them off and they're still going to walk where they're, 
where they're uh, usually going to go anyways. Gotcha. So you just got to, you know, kind of <clears throat> picture it in your mind. Like it's almost like a turkey trail or a section of a field they like to walk. We'll set them a yeah. little bit off to the side of where they usually like to go. So we, uh, we did a podcast. Actually, our very first podcast, Archery Country, was talking about turkey hunting. Yeah. <clears throat> we had some guests, actually guys, employees of Archery Country. We had John and Brandon and Jake, <clears throat> all successful, some of them on video. And we talked a little bit about decoys. Yeah. And something that caught my eye, I guess, or my ear on that podcast, is uh, they, were, they were very early season, which that's one of the pluses of archery is that we can hammer them <clears throat> right away. Yep. Some of them are grouped up, especially your Western states. They were bringing out like seven decoys. Yeah. Now they were scouting and they said that they were grouped up and they brought out seven. And I completely like tipped over my Mountain Dew and said, what in the hell did you bring to even two guys that somebody's carrying four and somebody's carrying three? I don't ever use that many. Uh, I think the most I've ever had out at one time was three. Yep. I don't know why I did, but I did. Um, a feeding hen, I think, is a natural. Yep. Uh, an alert hen can be an eye grabber. Yep. I don't really get into the breeding hen. Maybe you can elaborate a little bit on that. I don't. I don't see it. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's more of a. I wouldn't say it's a gimmick. I mean, I'd say it's it can be effective. I don't really use it that often. I mean, I've done it to where I just take my upright hen and just put it on the ground. So mm -hmm. it, it's essentially the same thing. Um, as far as like reactions, you're looking to get out of birds. So there'll be phases in the season to where birds are, are henned up. They're hard to call. Mm -hmm. So you have to think a little bit differently about what your tactics going to be and how you want to get that bird close to you. So I think of one of the, one of the coolest hunts I had with my dad one time. Uh, we're at Stutzy's place. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and I was kind of explaining to my dad, you know, sometimes if the birds are hand up, you're not actually calling the Tom, you're actually calling to make the hen angry. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, you know, what you do is you, you mimic the hen back and forth. You make her angry. She comes in to beat up your decoy. The Tom follows her. You get a shot at the Tom. And that's yep. exactly what happened when, when we were out at, out at his place. But uh, anyways, uh, what I've noticed with the, as far as reactions you get out of hens in particular, the upright hen will uh, aggravate like a boss hen more yep. often than a feeding hen because it's, it's almost like challenging them. Right. And there, there's multiple thoughts behind that too. There uh, frames a thought too. Well, you think about, okay, well, an upright bird, a lot of times birds are only upright and still when something is wrong. So it, it, there's multiple frames of thought. I've never had that issue to where they were necessarily alerted by an upright hen decoy. Yep. Um, but I have had it where it's, it's benefited me to where it pulled in that aggressive hen and the tom followed because of that. Um, uh, feeding hen's more submissive, um, mm -hmm. more natural, um, but it, it's, uh, it's not really um, as, as much of an eye grabber as far as, uh, as, far as the reaction you're going to get on the hen goes. Do you think, <clears throat> when we talk about decoy placement, um, Elaborate a little bit on, you know, a tom, mm -hmm. we say 20-pound bird, right? Yeah. The height, the yeah. eye, mm -hmm. like when you're picking out a spot, and I know we're going to get into this with the blind, but like when you're setting out the decoys, and a lot of times you're, you're pre, I, if I can't stress anything more on this podcast, scouting is a huge, huge tool. Yeah. We haven't talked about it a lot, but like I will, if I have a two-day hunt, I'll scout a day yep. and hunt a day. You know, yep. it's just, I know it sounds stupid, especially when you're driving seven and a half hours, but- if you go in there looking like a clown, you're going to end up smelling like one. You know what I mean? Yeah. So scouting is huge. But when you're, when you got a spot, rather it be a strut zone or, you know, you're hunting birds that are going to come off the roost or travel patterns, like what's your placement one, how far, and then 
you, you, you touched a little bit on facing the decoys in certain directions, but are you painting a picture that you see in the wild? Um, to tell you the truth, if I'm being completely honest, I am not particularly um, painting a picture necessarily based off something I see in the, in the wild per se. I'm just kind of going off of what has been successful. Um, it happens sometimes where, um, like early season, the the birds were they wouldn't come into all the way to the decoys. You know the, that hunt I did down down south where I shot that double on those reels. Um, I had the strutter off for two days, and they they look at it a hundred yards, and they uh uh-uh. uh. Well, when I ended up getting them was I you know I switched it up and put a Jake out instead. Mm-hmm. They, that way they you know sometimes early season they aren't they aren't uh, you know um, they don't have as much testosterone built up to right. kind of beat something up. Um, yep. So it, as far as that goes, I'm not sure. Um, if you want me to elaborate in a different direction as far as um, like what my setup was. Is yeah, just how, what, what works for you? How's your decoy setup? 90% okay. of the time. Okay, so 90% of the time, I mean, I'll always have a, a strutter out and I'll have a, a hen out and I'll have the hen facing the blind or my, the window that I plan on shooting out of and I'll have the strutter at a 90 degree angle to the hen. Um, and if I can have it um, purposefully have the strutter facing the direction I think the birds are going to come from. Okay. So it's painting a picture, I guess, so to speak, that the hen isn't necessarily looking at them. So if that bird is, if those um, toms are actually more interested in the hen, they're going to think, okay, maybe the hen can't see me, so they want to get closer. Mm-hmm. Or if you're trying to get an aggressive reaction out of them, that tom's there, and he's looking at them, and they say, okay, well, let's let's throw it down. Love it. So, that's so on your strutter, are you using a real tail fan? Tail fan, absolutely. And you use the Dave Smith, yep, um, strutter. They do have a really nice Jake strutter, or yep. what they call a half strut. Yep. Um, I know that there's going to be some people that don't have access to a real tail fan. Yeah. I would say your first bird put on the wall, maybe yeah. the second bird, get it done. If you, if you, it's very easy to do. Yeah. Um, and we'll get into that, but like I, I cannot stress, and in my, this is my opinion, air quotes. Yeah. Quality of decoy. And why not have a fan? Yeah. The sun glistens off of it. If the wind moves it just a little bit, it's the same thing when you look at a live tom. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's even some theories out there. I mean, that, I mean, turkeys see colors that we can't see and see things that we don't see. So there's even some studies that have been done to where they think uh, like a dominant uh, tom, like the way the turkey see the colors it actually in the sun glistens differently than say a jake does okay um there's some theories behind that obviously i have no way to prove it Mm -hmm. but um i will always make sure to use a real tail fan now if you don't have a real tail fan you know you don't have access to one i know you can buy them online Mm -hmm. like 20 or 30 bucks they're not super expensive and it's worth the investment 100 percent of the time Uh, one thing if you're going to do that i do recommend doing is at the base uh like put some bondo because if that fan gets beat up in the wind, it'll tear apart and everything. So if you're going to do that, um, just have something to firm up the base so that way uh, you know, it doesn't get beat up too fast. Yep. I love it. Decoys are set. We're ready to rock and roll. We got our bow tuned. We got our bow ready. We got our broadheads ready. Everything's going. We're sitting in something. Yep. 90% of the time. Yep. Now, there are going to be some big, tough, tattoo-wearing cowboys out there that say, well, I'm a runner and I'm a gunner. <laughs> well, bless your heart. That's awesome. Go do it. It's adorable. Like you say, you might bust them up. You might get a one chance. You're either a hero or a zero. Yep. And more times than not, it's going to be a zero. Yeah. Uh, Birds don't give away their location all the time, especially in the timber. Yep. And you can bust them. And you're not going to get a shot out of a busted bird. I don't care who you are. Yeah. 
maybe the next day or something in a different location, but we're sitting in a blind. We have a very, very cool blind that I know you got your eye on. Yeah. A blind is not a blind. Yes, you can go to other stores, big box stores, and you can save a little cash and you can get a blind. And is it going to work? Maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some, we've all killed birds out of blinds before. We got our hands on a Xenix. But what you brought to my attention, you were in the other day and you looked through the blind. And, and if you guys haven't ever met Matt, he's got a little OCD and he's very, very particular. And he walked out of the blind. And he said, you know what? This is perfect. Absolutely perfect blind for turkey hunting. Yeah. Explain to me how important, why blinds, why different blinds, and then how are you setting your blind? Okay, so as far as uh, blinds go, I mean, it's, it's absolutely critical that you have uh, one with versatile windows. And I've been honestly looking for one for years. I have a couple that I like the window systems on, but I mean, in my mind, I was thinking of actually designing a ground blind, and I saw that the other day, and I was like, Yep, that's pretty much what I designed. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and the thing behind it is you want a big ground blind, number one, because you want a lot of space to move around in there. But you want one with windows, shooting windows on all sides of the blind. Um, because a, a statistic, you know, I, I put some numbers together. I, I think I'd said over the past four years, I, there's like, I had I think 80 bow kills for turkeys. Mm-hmm. And I just ran some different numbers and... Of those 80 bow kills, uh, only 63% were birds that I shot out of the window that I was initially planning on shooting out of. Okay. So there's, I feel like there's too many guys that go out there and they pigeonhole themselves to where, okay, I got one big window. I got my decoy straight out in front. I'm just going to sit back here in my chair yep. and he's going to come in and we're going to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Well, if you do that, you're going to, you know, there's going to be about 50% of the birds that you don't shoot or close to 50% because they decided to turn a different direction, walk by a different window. You had a bird come from a different direction that you didn't even know was there that roosted somewhere else. It happens all the time. Um, And what I do like about those windows in this blind too, is that you want, if you can get it, you know, a narrow, tall window. So number one, you can kind of, uh, you know, you got to up and down. You're not going to shoot holes in your blind, which I've done plenty of times. Mm-hmm. I've shot, <laughs> shot rods, shot holes in my blind, you name it. Another cool thing that I noticed in that blind in particular is there's like some uh, some open mesh right before the window. So let's just say the bird's coming from your right. You got your window out in front of you. Right before that opening, uh, you can kind of see through there, and that bird can't see you. Mm-hmm. You can kind of see where he is, so you can draw back, and when he walks into the picture, you're ready to shoot. Yep. I mean, I've, I mean on the, le- the blind I currently use, um, which I, I really like, um, it's, uh, I have to, you know, I look out one side window, and I'm like, okay, well, he's about 15 seconds away. I'll go kneel back down, I'll draw back, and I'll wait, and yep. I'll wait. And I'll wait, and I'll wait, and finally maybe he'll walk out, right? Yeah. Um, toward that, one thing I noticed is you can actually see, you know, approximately where he is and when he's going to walk out. So I thought that was really cool. Um, so just having uh, versatile windows uh, with multiple, you know, different directions that you can shoot out of is just absolutely critical because, like I said, it's going to be close to 40 or 50% of birds that – you don't get a sh- even get a shot at it. They can, they can be standing five, 10 yards away and you can't get a shot at them because mm-hmm. you don't have an open window. Now, for those of you that haven't turkey hunted, you aren't just going to slowly open that window real slow. And then <laughs> now yeah. I, I've done it before, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's a 5% of the time thing. It might work. It's right. not going to work most of the time because they're, they're keen on any movement and they're, they're gone before you can even draw your bow back. Absolutely. And, and another key feature 
<clears throat> that sometimes goes overlooked unless you have private land and unless you're very, very sure that you're not going to bump, bump birds at all, rather they're feeding or roosted. Sometimes you can go put a blind out on private ground and it's there and you just walk to it, set out your decoys and go. This blind has the ability to backpack it in and you can strap your bow right to it, which gets your hands free for your, hopefully you got a backpack or something with your calls or a vest, your decoys, you have mobility. Um, that's another key feature and one of the great selling points of it. But it was interesting because we didn't pitch you on the blind. Like we didn't say, hey, Matt, we're going to do a podcast with you. Come in and do it. You like, you just, you were off by yourself. You looked over the blind. You know what you want, what you like you say you're going to design. I think it's, if you're going to have a lot of success in turkey hunting, it's worth the money. It's yeah. worth its weight in gold, you know? Yeah, it's it's definitely worth the investment. I mean, I, when I started out, uh, they didn't have blinds with much versatility and stuff like we have now and, and blinds like that. Um, you know, it was pretty much your, you, you had one side of the blind that was all closed off, and then you open up one side, and you hope that bird comes in on that side of the blind. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, there were some other ones that had some small windows out the back to where, you know, you could maybe get a shot, but a lot of time you end up shooting the blind. I've done it several, several times. Um, with this, with the, with the tall windows... You don't have to worry about that. Uh, one thing I don't want to get too far off topic here, but I want to allude to as well is that when you set up your blind, or you pick a spot you're going to set up. Um, it can be a matter of within 15 or 20 yards of difference. It's just like setting your tree stand when you're deer hunting. What tr- what tree you set in matters. Mm-hmm. Where you set your blind in that field or in that chunk of woods matters. One thing I always try to focus on is is we're talking about, you know, getting different, you know, shot opportunities. So uh, out of different windows of the blind. So I want to pick a spot that I'm going to have openings in different areas. So different, you know, may, maybe at least two or three different sides of the blind. The other thing, too, is picking elevation. If possible, uh, you always want to take the high ground. So that can be an open field and it can just be like a little rise in the middle of that field. That's where you want to sit because it is next impossible. It can be done, but you just make it so much harder on yourself if you're going to try to call birds downhill because they have the vantage point. They can see more of what's going on. You Mm -hmm. risk getting busted so much more. There's so much more that can go wrong. So if, uh, I mean, I think of... I was, I was hunting, I think uh, it was Missouri last year and I, and I drove overnight. It was, it was like a, I don't know, a seven hour drive or something. I get down there in the middle of the night and, and, uh, and I'm walking out through this, uh, plowed cornfield, uh, just corn stubble everywhere in, in the dark. It's probably four in the morning and I got all my gear. I'm walking around and I'm looking at literally on my Onyx maps. I'm looking, okay, where's a high elevation spot mm-hmm. in this field? And, you know, I, and I, and I went out there and, and set up <clears> and I said, okay, well, this is the, and it wasn't much of a difference, but you have to think of too, is, is a uh, Tom, you know, most of the time his head's only two and a half feet off the ground. So you want to take that high ground, you know, and be in the highest spot. So that way they can actually see your decoys too, mm-hmm. you know? So it, it's, it's very, very critical to take the high ground and it's a lot harder to call them downhill. And, and, uh, if they can't see your decoys and, and, and calling is, is, is the game you're playing, which it, you, it's not the game you're playing all, all year round, um, per se, but, uh, if that's the game you're playing, you want them to hundred percent be able to see your decoys. Um, when you set up, set your decoys a little ways out. So that way, if they come for a certain direction, your, your blind is not blocking that view of that decoy as well. And how many yards do you think that is? Like, what do you safely do? I generally set my decoys about 10 yards. Okay. Um, I don't like to put them at like five yards because yeah. what not a lot of people realize, I mean, shooting 3Ds like we did, we're like, right. like we do, we realize this. 
it's next impossible to make a three yard shot because your your arrow's still rising. Yeah. So if if you have a bird at you know they come at your decoy, he's you know eight ten yards, your twenty pin's gonna be fine. Maybe a t- maybe a touch high inch higher right. or so, right? But if that bird's standing at uh, at five yards, your arrow is gonna be about four inches low. Right. Um. So and that's just <clears throat> you want to take any of the um, variables out of it if you can. So I figure about the ten yard mark. Um, I mean, if you push him out to 20, well, what happens if he hangs up at 30 or 40 or whatever? Yeah. So you want him close enough, but not, not too close, I would right. say. So, I mean, <laughs> a funny story we had, and I'm not picking on them, but because I don't know their name, it doesn't really matter. They were in, they bought, uh, they're going to shoot for a little bit, right? We got an hour max on the range right now for COVID reasons, but they're like, well, can we practice for turkey hunting? I said, yeah, we got a movable bail. You can shoot at 10 or five yards or however you want. So they started at five. They got done when they're at 10 yards. Took them an hour. They come in the back over here, and they were super happy and smiling and giggling and goofing around, and we're like, well, how'd it go, guys? And they're like, well, we got our 10-yard mark. <laughs> and I said, in an hour? Like, well, yeah. The first half hour, we're shooting at five yards, and we couldn't hit the center. jeez. Oh, they didn't realize what we take for granted. Yeah. If you've never done it, and I know we've said it on a previous podcasts, like, shoot your bow at five yards, so you know what pin you need to use. Yeah. If unless you have an adjustable, like you're, believe it or not, you're probably going to move your pin down. Yeah. I mean, you can aim off, but we got such a small target. Why would you aim off when you can just set your pin? Yeah. Things are different closer. Yeah. That, that's a kind of funny story. Reminds me of one of my buddies down in Florida uh, guides uh, for some hog hunting down there. And, and uh, he had this guy from the UK uh, come over in the United Kingdom and, and uh, this guy was the president of their archery club over there. A guy had never shot anything in his life, but, I mean, he's, he said he shot his bow quite a bit. Mm-hmm. He tell the story. I, I, I retell the story so many times because it's just funny. And uh, so they're stocking up on this hog and getting closer, closer, closer. And eventually they're at, you know, 25 yards. He's like, well, can you take him? He's like, well, let's get a little bit closer. You know, eventually they're at like 15 yards, and he's like, well, take him. He's like, well, well, like, how close do you need to get? And the guy looks at him and goes, I'm deadly at seven. <laughs> so, so some things we take for granted or yeah. some things that we take, think are the norm. Not everybody thinks that's the norm. So that's right. kind of funny. So. Right. And, and I, <clears throat> long distance, you're going to have some long shots if you do it enough. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's your own ethical deal. You can do whatever you want. If you're efficient, we've both shot birds at far distances. It happens. Uh, they hang up and that it's a one shot deal and you, and that's what you got. Yeah. So, now our turkeys are set now our blind is set we're all ready Mm -hmm. we've done our scouting we may have an idea where birds are roosted yep i strongly recommend if you don't know how to do this maybe watch a youtube video or call us here at the shop or talk to us or talk to matt you can roost birds i like to roost birds visually yep if i got a new farm or new area or even at the home farm once in a while it's it's fun for the kids or you know guys that haven't experienced it you can get a shot gobble yeah. At night, mm-hmm. you know, when they're comfortable and they're on there and you, you have a general idea where the, you know, I yeah. would say within a 10 acre spot of where the birds are kind of at. Yep. History proves that, you know, birds can roost anywhere. Yep. Birds can tree hop. Yep. You know, a windy night or something like that. Anything can happen. But I like to visually watch the birds pitch up, have an idea, yeah. got my location. So you got birds on the roost. Mm-hmm. I'm taking into consideration people know what that means, but. Birds sleep in trees. Yep. Turkey shoot, they sleep in trees. So at night, they're up in the trees in the morning. You want to get out super, super early, way early. Yeah. 
in your setup. So birds, now all of a sudden, we're starting what we call our call cadence. Yeah. And one thing Matt and I talked about, and we're going to say it here, we're very good turkey callers. Uh, I've actually called in some competitions. A lot of guys at the shop have called. I've listened to Matt. I know what he uses. We use Woodhaven calls here at the shop and diaphragms, and we'll get into that. If you're going to speak the language, and I'm taking that quote from Primos, you have to be aware of when to call, what calls you're using at that time, what cadence you're going to use. And then I, I think one of the best calls in the world is your ear. Yeah. Listen to what the birds are going to, they're going to start gobbling. If you're, if you're, if you're in birds, yeah. you know, right. And I'm talking hunting close to the roost. Yeah. Okay. So it's just now starting to get light. We're starting to hear some of those call the gobbles that we treasure. Listen to them all year long. Yep. What are you going to do next? Uh, typically, uh, as soon as I, I hear them gobbling, you know, then I'll, I'll usually call a couple times, uh, while they're selling the roost. Now there's different people out there that have different opinions of this, but my main goal, um, is to simply let them know that I'm there. Um, now I'll usually, I won't usually do it right away because if, if that bird hears a call coming from the field, well, it's still pitch black out. Well, it's maybe a little bit of a red flag, maybe mm -hmm. not, but in my mind, that'd be a little bit of a red flag. So I'll, I'll wait until before they pitch down and I'll just start doing some, uh, Safi Alps, tree Alps, some people call them, um, until I get a couple of response. I'll wait for them to respond to me twice. And then I know that they know I'm there and they know where I am. And you know, there's a chance they might get down and, and, uh, come into the decoys. Um, there's a chance they won't too. Mm -hmm. but that's just general my uh, frame of mind as far as you know if i have roosted birds that's that's what i'm gonna do now we're talking spring hunting here of course yep you know it's a different scenario as far as fall hunting going you know if you're fall hunting it's more of a, a patterning type deal but, right but spring hunting you're calling you know that's that's generally my uh frame of thought and what i'm doing um from, from the get-go with that being said um sometimes less calling is more yep <clears throat> in the world of it and and we're not going to go into the calling aspect. Like we're not going to break down what a hen yelp is yep. and what a cut is and what a purr and a feeding yep. purr and a fighting purr and a gobble. Um, I don't gobble. I, I do it here in the shop just for fun to get guys attention, you know, and, and that, <clears throat> and you'll do it on a, on a stage. Yeah. There are stage callers. Yeah. Stage callers belong on the stage. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Those stage callers can probably kill a lot of birds. Not a lot of birds in a, in tough situations, maybe. I, I You know, I'm not saying, I'm not taking anything away from them. Yeah. But you're not, just like goose calling. Mm -hmm. you're, when you do a cadence or a sequence on stage with a goose call, it's not the same that you're doing into the field. No. You got to read the birds. You got to read what they're doing. You got to see what they like. A lot of times, like you say, once we get past that first two weeks, when birds are big and grouped up, you're going to be calling some hens. When they get henned up, you're going to call the boss hen in or the hen that he's with. Why... Do turkeys gobble? Well, I mean, it's just, I mean, Tom's respond, responding to the hen. I mean, it's, it's, well, I shouldn't necessarily say that because there's times where they, they gobble in the fall too. But mm -hmm. in the spring, you know, they're kind of like gobbling to let the no, hen know where they're at I mean, yep. as far as. So I, a gentleman asked me this and he caught me off guard last year because we can kind of relate it to elk hunting, another animal that's very vocal and you can use some cows or cow calls and get bugles and this and that. He asked me, he says, do turkeys gobble or are they threatened or are they sending out, you know, like a 
stay away from me. I'm the big dude. And I said, no, it's not the same as elk hunting. I said, you could slam your car door in a turkey gobbles, yeah. shot gobble. You yeah. know, you can do, uh, um, uh, what are them birds with the big tails? They call oh, peacock. <laughs> peacock call, yeah. and they gobble. You can do a coyote call, and they gobble. They shot gobble. Mm-hmm. Um, and he asked me, well, is it more of a breeding deal? And I, and I just exactly what you nailed on the head. Hey, I'm here. Yeah. This is me. Yep. And then sometimes they're just so, God, dang, there's a hen, and then they, you know, and they're just letting it go. Yeah. They get balled up. One of the coolest things in the world is when birds are strutting and, and gobbling at each other, and they gobble, and they're like, yeah, you can get carried away and do a bunch of cuts and get them to gobble. Yeah. You're more or less getting them to shot gobble on that. Yeah. I don't gobble. No, I don't either. And you go back to the stage calling, and I, I have some friends that are, are, you know, that do some stage calling and things like that. And, and, and I mean, that's, it, it's really cool what some guys can do with a turkey call. Um, it's not necessarily mean, it does not necessarily mean they're good turkey hunters or mm-hmm. necessarily kill a lot of turkeys. Or, right. And that's what I was trying to, to, to get yeah, at. It's, it's not like you have to go out there. I, I consider myself to be a, a, a much better than average caller. Um, if I went up on stage and tried to do that, I'd probably get last place, mm-hmm. uh, to tell you the truth, but I'd probably kill a lot more birds than those guys on the stage too. Right. Um, because it's, it's, it's not, it's one aspect of hunting and what you do on stage, um, and all the different things that you can do. Um, it's cool to see, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily the, the end all be all of turkey hunting. It's, there's a lot more to it than that. And a lot of times, uh, it's the less you call can be the better too. Mm-hmm. So, and that's why they call it turkey calling. And absolutely. then there's turkey hunting. Yep. <clears throat> so, now there are going to be guys that want calls and I think you have to have calls, especially in the spring. Yeah. Uh, do you use a diaphragm call? Yeah, that's probably my main go-to. I think it's really important to have a variety. So I, I use the Woodhavens. I use, I, I mean, when I, in my bag of Turkey calls, I probably got 20 different mouth calls mm-hmm. in there. And, and I, and to tell you the truth, it's not really a, a rhyme or reason. I'll just take whatever I'm getting the best response with to go with it. Um, I've had it happen, you know, where I'm hunting the same, you know, one property one day, um, and had birds sp- responding really, you know, really well to either a slate call or a glass call. They just like the sound of it would not respond to a moth call for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I go to a different property the next day and that's the only thing they're responding to is a moth call. So I yep. think it's really important to have, um, just a few different clubs in your bag, so to speak, um, with, you know, that you can use or, or, uh, because if you only have, you know, one call, yep. and that's the only thing you know how to do. If it's yep. not working, yep. it's, well, your calling is kind of, yeah. you know, out the window. So it's, it's, it's important. So as far as the Woodhavens go, I mean, I have several of different, um, you know, uh, moth calls. I, I like the black venom. Uh, that's, that's a great one. Or, um, uh, the black wasp I use, but I have, I, I bet you I have 15 different one of the Woodhavens. Mm-hmm. It's I, they make a ge- great product. Uh, they're based out of Alabama. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Great yep. guys down there. Um, and then as far as the slate and glass call, I have the Woodhaven, um, cherry crystal as well as the Woodhaven, uh, legend slate. Um, nice. and, and they all sound great, <clears throat> but the idea behind it is to just have a few different sounds because you can, I'm sure attest to this as well as you'll have, you'll have it happen where you're calling on one call, the bird just doesn't respond. You switch up calls and all of a sudden he responds, Boom. you know, it, yeah. it, it just, it's just like a light switch. <clears throat> it, it just changes it up. So it's, it's, it's important to know how to do a few different types of calls, have a few different, you know, you know, diaphragms, um, mouth calls and, um, you know, slate and glass calls. And I, and I kind of compare it to having, you know, like golf clubs, Yeah, <clears throat> you're going to have different clubs for different shots on the course. You're yep. going to have to have different, you know, I use a diaphragm basically cause my hands are free especially when I'm archery. And then there's, there's times where you need that last 15 feet or 15 yards, you know, to, to coax them in. 
<clears throat> the loudness of your call, you're going to change the pitch. I always tell guys when I get a diaphragm call, there's two calls in ones. You yeah. can flip that call over and go to a high pitch. Let's say you got a <clears throat> a fang or something where it's really, really raspy boss hand, and I flip it over in my mouth, and now I have a high, high pitch young hand. You have different picks for your pots. You know, you have different strikers. Yep. You, you have a lot of cadence. A box call is very easy. I only use a box call in one situation, and that's an ex- if it's extremely windy. Yep. And I need to reach out. <clears throat> I feel it creates a little bit crisper, sharper. But you can you can get the same sound on, like you say, in a glass or crystal. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I actually, I still have a box call. That's actually what I started using when first, you know, even up in, you know, even, you know, eight, 10 years ago or well, probably about 10 years ago. That's really all I was good at using is a box call and maybe some slates. I don't even know how to use a mouth call yet. Mm-hmm. So, but what I found is just my responses and my, you know, effectiveness of calling got a lot better um, when I wasn't using the box call. And I'll, uh, primarily what I'll use a box call for now is not necessarily, um, uh, when I'm hunting, but if I'm trying to figure out where a bird's roosted, I know some guys like to use an owl hoot mm-hmm. or a, or a coyote call. I'll actually sometimes just bust out the box call and see where I hear the sound coming from. Uh, cause it tends to carry a little bit further. Um, now one thing I just want to mention real quick, you know, when we talk about roosts and birds, um, a lot of times if you're trying to get them to shot gobble and figure out where they're at, there's usually only about a, a 15 to 30 minute window where yep. you're going to get them to react. If it's the middle yep. of the night and you, you know, throw off a box call, there could be, you know, 50 toms sitting there and they're probably not going to gobble back. They're right. sleeping. It's, yep. You have a, a, a window uh, <clears throat> as far as when they're sitting in the roost um, before sunrise and after sunset, you know, with like 15 to 30 minute window, usually where you can get the reaction out of them. After that, a lot of times they're not going to be as um, susceptible to, you know, reacting to that. Yep. I love it. So, I want you to tell me time of the day hunting. Yeah. We're going to kind of start narrowing this down here to the last 15 minutes of this. Time of the day. I know you got some really good statistics, and I think people give up too quick. I think people become morning hunters, and then that's it. And I understand it's springtime of the year or fall, and you're wanting to do something else or you, your obligations on that. But give us some of your, your time of the day percentages. So I was just looking at it because I was, I was interested to kind of find out. I was just trying to, um, it was important to me that I, you know, uh, give as much information on this podcast as possible and just stuff that I think might be helpful. Some people, especially, you know, people that really like turkey hunt, people that want to start out, just, just kind of get some um, perspective or um, what to expect or, or what's possible. So I did, took some data. Um, I was just sitting at my house the other night. Um, and in the last four years, there's I've had 80 turkey bow kills in the past four years. Um, of those bow kills, as far as time of day goes, 28% of them happen in the first 90 minutes. And I, I narrowed it down to the first 90 <clears throat> minutes, particularly because what does that tell you? It tells you the bird, you shot that bird, you called him off the roost, basically. He might have putzed around for a little bit, but you basically called him off the roost. You made it into your set and you shot him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then 38% were shot between 4 p.m. and sunset. Now, that's morning and evening. When you hear people talk about hunting, they talk about, oh, well, what's the best time? Well, morning and evening, right? Mm-hmm. Just about any type of hunting. Now, one thing that I um, narrowed down was that between after that 90 first minutes of daylight up until 4 p.m., that's when 34% of my birds were shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's critical to mention that, particularly because a lot of guys will sit there for the first 90 minutes and be like, okay, well, those birds... uh 
you know, they want a different direction, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Now, sometimes like early season, sometimes that's the right thing to do. If you got a group of birds that just flocked up, it's 50 birds and they just get off, off the roost. They didn't go where you expected them to. They all went the same direction. They're going half a mile, mile the other way. You're not just going to turn them around from half right. a mile away early season. You know, if they're just in a pattern, they're just kind of on a feeding pattern, just kind of following other birds around. That's not going to be the time where you're necessarily going to call them in. I mean, it, it's there's anomalies where it does happen, but right. you know, sometimes that's the best time to say, okay, well, maybe I'll maybe I'll move a little bit something about my setup. Maybe go grab lunch, go grab breakfast, whatever you want to do. So there is right. times of the year to do that, particularly early season. When I think guys move too soon, is you get into that, um, you know, late April, early to mid May. Um, and even late May is they'll pack up too early. Um, so what, you know, you'll, you'll be there for first 90 minutes, two hours, stuff didn't go the way you planned. You're not necessarily hearing anything. So you move. Well, I've had it happen several times. There's two I can think of last year to where I hadn't heard a gobble and I just, I just sat, you know, cause I knew it was, there's birds in the area. I wasn't necessarily hearing anything, but I just sat it out and I hadn't heard a gobble for four hours, five hours. Mm-hmm. I, just, I just kept sitting there. And all of a sudden I'd either one of them, I heard a gobble and five minutes later, he's laying dead in my decoys out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Cause he had, you know, I obviously been hearing me calling before, but he just hadn't made his way in. Yep. And the other one, I didn't hear a gobble all morning and it was, uh, probably five hours in or so. And he just showed up in my decoy. So the backside of the blind, no, and then go back to that blind, that blind window having, you know, a shot option, um, out of the backside that was critical too, because he didn't show up where I expected the birds to show up when mm-hmm. he showed up quiet. He was all of a sudden he was standing in literally 10 yards and right. then, you know, and that was the last bird I shot last spring. So that's absolutely critical on that aspect of it for sure. So you can hunt all day. <clears throat> you can hunt all year. Uh, I mean, you can't hunt all year. You, you you can shoot birds in the season all year. Fall, we're going to save the fall tactics. Yeah. We're going to have you back in, well, actually, we're going to have you back twice because we didn't spill the beans yet, but being a bear guide, bear hunting, we're going to have you on that. And then we kind of got mangled up on having a fall turkey podcast. And I think with the, <clears throat> the amount of reaction we're going to get from this, they're going to want that. Yeah. Like, how do I shoot birds in the fall? Yeah. And that's a whole different deal. Yep. A uh, little bit different tactic. Yeah. What do we want and what our listeners want? Your most memorable hunt. Not your first with your dad, because you already kind of explained that. But your fir- your most memorable archery success hunt from start to finish. Take us through it. Probably the most memorable hunt. I mean, I, I've got a lot of them that could go over there just you know, near and dear to my heart, you know, in anything in life, whether it's hunting, uh, work or just personal related, anything in life that's usually the most special to you is typically things you struggled with and had to work the hardest at and take, you know, different kicks in the teeth. And, um, one that comes to mind, uh, was probably last year I was hunting, uh, state about 700 miles South of here. Uh, I was opening, opening, uh, weekend of both season. And this is, <laughs> This is uh, when the whole COVID thing started out, right? Yep. And they had the stay-at-home order. And, well, <coughs> I had my mind made up, like, there ain't nobody going to stop me from turning right. on. So yep. I just drove through the middle of the night, uh, you know, across state lines. And, and uh, it was an area that I actually um, had hunted quite a bit before in the past, out in the middle of nowhere. And it's like I had relatives that I could have stayed with in the area, but it's, it was that 
kind of a touchy thing with the Mm -hmm. whole COVID thing that, you know, I don't really want to ask anybody to stay with them because it's like, well, you know what they're going to say and, or, or if you're making anybody feel awkward. So I just pitched a tent out in the middle of nowhere, out in the middle of the country, really cool property. I like hunting. Um, first night, uh, I got there a day before the season opened. So I scouted and I was looking over these fields and ravines to where I usually see birds and bird numbers were a little bit down. Um, to where I wasn't seeing as many. There's only two or three toms on the entire property that I was hunting, and it, which is uh, about you know a quarter of what there usually is. Right. So it was, I knew it was going to be a little bit tougher. So I kind of like you know it was early season, birds were still bunched up. Um, so I I watched kind of what the birds were doing. Uh, first morning set up. I didn't get too close to the roost because a lot of times going out in the morning, if you get too close to the roost, you can risk spooking them. If you spook a roost, well, you just screwed up the only advantage that you have. The, the advantage that you have is you know where they are. They like, they like to hang out. And uh, if you know where they like to hang out and, and they have them on a pattern, well, if you don't spook them, a lot of times they'll do the same thing day after day. Right. So set up first morning, uh, a couple hundred yards from the roost, uh, was calling. Calling wasn't really that effective. Um, had a few hens come through a few jakes that I passed on. Um, I think I sat, uh, I probably sat eight hours, you know, in, in the morning. I, didn't do it. I, I just sat for a long time cause I figured it would pan out if I, if I sat it out, didn't pan out the way I wanted to. So then I moved my setup to where I had seen him in the night previously. Now when I moved my setup, I didn't get too close to the roost. I got to a point where I thought, well, you know, when they're going into roost, they're going to be able to see my decoys. I might be able to pull those birds in. I don't want to get too aggressive right away. I had probably four days to hunt um, and didn't want to bust everything right away. So I had, I uh, had the strutter out, you know, facing where I thought they were going to come from. I had the hen out, um, had my blind set up. Uh, birds would look at it. They'd get a little bit closer, get to about a hundred yards or 150 yards or so. And they just kind of turn and walk back, you know, the other direction they came from. Um, I just let them go to roost. I didn't, you know, try to get any closer or, or set up in the morning like that. I actually didn't even hunt the following morning. I just left them alone because where they were going in the morning was a place that was going to be hard to get to without bumping them. So I just let them do their thing. I purposely did not hunt. I let them get down, go away. And then, uh, the following day, uh, I set up in an area where I saw them kind of going previous about 300 yards away from the roost in the other direction. Um, to where I thought I could pick them off without spooking. It wasn't on like the main path that they were going. I just kind of, it was kind of off to the side on this hillside and uh, had it to where uh, I called one of the toms in and it came behind me and the, there's nothing wrong with the blind set up on this one, but I didn't have a shot because he's standing in this grass and he just got to within 10 yards and I couldn't shoot him. Mm-hmm. I mean, shotgun would have been easy, but right. Um, and you just kind of end up walking away and I didn't get too aggressive. I didn't, um, I just kind of let, let the birds do the thing because those birds didn't know I was there. They weren't spooked. Yep. Um, and so, I mean, it was frustrating cause I was carrying all my gear, you know, three quarters mm-hmm. of a mile in and right. So, and then, uh, I did the same thing the following day, except I got a little bit more aggressive cause I hadn't spooked the roost yet. So I got more in the path of, uh, kind of where they wanted to be. Um, I didn't set up right where they like to walk, but just maybe 20 yards off of it to where I could decoy them and, uh, sat out there and, uh, a couple hours in that, that same bird that got close the night before he came in at about, uh, 20 yards, I uh, shot him. And then about 15 minutes later, uh, the big old boss, Tom comes out with a few hens and I'm calling him like crazy. I'm, I'm, you know, um, yelping, I'm purring, I'm trying to purr him into range, try to purr him into range. 
these jakes come in, I think he's going to follow the jakes into the decoys. And one thing I had done in this last day is I had, uh, since the strutter wasn't effective, I switched up to a Jake, th- you know, and that was yep. effective on the first bird. So <clears throat> yep. just a, a, an adjustment that I had made. Um, this big old boss, Tom, he's henned up. He's not getting any closer. I can read his body language. He's not going to get any closer. He's just going to follow this hen he's with. I said, well, it's now or never. Um, so I ranged him at 61 yards and, you know, aim high and let her fly mm-hmm. <laughs> so so uh, i drilled them and i was i was tagged out and it was it was it was just a really cool experience because it's it's something i had to work really hard for i used so many different tactics i had learned over the years to uh get closer and closer every day um and i played it right mm-hmm. um you know when you play it right sometimes <clears throat> sometimes you can do everything right and not be successful the first day yep. um but patience is huge and uh you know practicing shooting at different ranges and, and knowing where to hit birds is, is huge as well so it's uh um very very critical so you got to know how to take a you know front on shot a side shot or or shoot them you know off the back so love it I yeah love it. <clears throat> the one thing that we didn't discuss and both matt and i <clears throat> were not head shooters when i say yep. that about the decap style uh it's caught on yeah uh, a lot of guys are switching to it we sell a ton of the broadheads and we sell arrows that are strictly made for that. It's a full length shaft. It's usually a very, very stiff shaft because we're talking extreme heavy uh, broadheads on the end of it and usually a bigger feather profile to help steer that. Yeah. The reason I think, and you tell me your reason, the reason that I don't head shoot them or haven't in the past is I take a lot of pride in being very accurate. And I think I have, in head shooting, either you're going to kill them or you're not. There's a little room for error. In a body shot, I think with a little bit bigger broadhead, I know where to aim. I know where the vitals are. I strongly encourage people to get a dissected diagram. You can get them online, like where the turkey's vitals are when they're broadside, where they are when they're strutting towards you or they're not strutting, where they are where you aim when the turkey's walking away from you. Like, know your animal. Know your target. Yeah. You don't head shoot them? No. No, I, uh, strictly, strictly body shots with mechanical, um, just with a headshot. I mean, it's, it's a small target and that you limit yourself so much in the shots that you can take because I mean, it's effective as far as accuracy and not planning out to maybe 15, maybe 20 yards. If you're <clears throat> really, really lucky, mm-hmm. um, and a turkey's head moves a lot. Yep. Um, it, it, it's always moving. So it's, it, you just limit yourself a little more. Now, it's, is it kind of cool if that's something you want to do? Sure, nothing wrong with it. Absolutely, and there's a ton of videos out there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> just like any fad, the, the videos are going to blow up because they're doing that. It limits, like you say, it limits your shot opportunities. Yeah. Uh, like, if a bird is not in strut, their head moves, I don't know how many times in a second, or how many times in a, you know, like a 30-second window of your shot opportunity. It's always moving. Yes, you got a big broadhead, and you can maybe clip or do whatever. You're going to want to take a shot more than likely when they're strutting or on top of your decoy. But even then, they're pecking and they're moving. But basically, when a bird is strutting with their head facing you or a side shot, and when they're strutting, their head's folded back up against their back feathers, and it's not going to move a whole lot. But if if all of a sudden you're executing your shot and your release, you know, you're almost there or the verge of it, and if you're not dumping it, or even if you are, and he quick, turns and his tail fan is in the way you just eliminated your shot yeah and then he turns back and oh i got a headshot and then he turns again you know they're they're trying to impress the hand there there's the, if you've never seen a turkey strut 
it's beautiful. I mean, it's pretty cool. But th- we didn't talk about it because we don't do it. A lot of guys do it. A lot of guys are successful. To each his own. Yep. I mean, in in I don't know if you want me to cover real quick, just like just basic shot placement real quick. We yeah. Can, we can do that too. Um. So there's, I mean, <clears throat> basically three different uh, three different shots. I mean, if we're gonna break it down, so you have the front on, you have the facing away, and then you have the broadside. And and I like Wade had said, I highly highly recommend studying different diagrams. But there's a few things that I think it's important everybody thinks about. Um, when they're actually executing their shot and, and to kind of know what you're doing. Um, so if the bird is broadside, uh, there is, whether they're full strut or not strutting at all, there is some like copper barring on their wings. It's like a shiny spot with copper barring. If you hit just above that copper bearing and that little black patch of feathers, that's approximately broadside where their vitals are going to be. Uh, if you hit low and actually hit that shiny spot, you're probably going to break wings and legs, which is not a bad thing. But um, as far as just kind of focusing on where you're going to hit, that's kind of where you want to focus on. Um, birds facing away, um, that's a really good shot to take. Now, one misleading thing that I've heard some people say is they say, oh, you know, you got about an 18-inch uh, you know, margin of error up and down where you can hit them. Technically speaking, yeah, but I have had it happen so many times where my arrow deflects if I shoot up higher and, and like say if I shoot in the middle of the back, it'll deflect off those back feathers and just go off into, you know, no man's land and you don't even, you know, penetrate the, the mm-hmm. chest cavity. So if they're facing away from you and they're not strutting, I always face on where or, or focus on, I should say, where the tail feathers come out of the body, right where the tail feathers come out of the body. Um, just above that, maybe an inch above that is where you want to aim. Because if you actually, you know, spin the bird around 300, you know, 180 degrees, that's going to go through the center of the chest cavity and get all the, you know, all the vitals you want to get. Uh, last but not least, this is, this is actually probably my personally least favorite shot to take is the head on shot. Now, some guys would say, well, well, why? Well, it can just be a little bit misleading, um, how a bird's body is actually faced when he's head on, uh, because, that bird, you know, you want to aim just above the beard, you know, center of the chest. That bird, excuse me, could actually be turned a little bit sideways one way or the other. And you might go in dead center, but he's actually a little bit turned, so you don't even penetrate that chest cavity. So one thing to focus on, you, your up and down is always going to be the same, you know, below the waddles, above the beard. You want to focus on splitting your arrow between where his legs are. So the left leg, right leg that arrow left to right you want to put in between his legs because that's generally going to be center mass or that bird is such so as another thing to focus on because you know those birds spin and turn and move a lot turn their feathers different ways um the thing that remains constant you know something that doesn't remain constant is, is where his feathers are um but you know where his legs are if you kind of split the arrow between where his legs are left to right that's going to be center mass of that bird um so that's just kind of what i recommend and i've learned the hard way just like anybody else has Mm -hmm. to you know i've made some bad shots and and just learned the hard way so let's ask this question and we won't get like too graphic you see a lot of videos yeah guys will shoot a bird and the first thing they do is they run and then get on the bird or you know get on the head or whatever you want to do yeah um are you are you doing that like as soon as you see the impact and you see that if the bird's there flopping or if the bird's going to go away, are you grabbing another arrow just in case, or are you running to the bird? 
I'm first thing I'm doing is I'm grabbing another arrow right away. Now, I mean, obviously, if you you drill them, they do a back flip, and all of a sudden they're laying there flopping. Well, we got nothing to worry about. Mm -hmm. But if that bird either runs out of sight or, or runs off, or is just laying there with its head up, or I'm putting another arrow in it. Doesn't yep. do, doesn't matter. I'm always doing it. And and uh, one other statistic that I had uh, taken was uh, the percentage of birds that I shot that either required. Uh, or a follow-up shot or uh, some sort of a tracking job was 31%. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, um, you know, and, and I take pride in being a good shooter, but it's it's not always the, the perfect scenario. So uh, general rule of thumb is if that bird uh, runs off out of sight, I'll wait at least an hour. Okay. Um, and, and my thought process <clears throat> behind that is they're not just going to bleed out like a deer does all the time. They're, they're not, you know, they're either... Um, going to be alive and ready to run or they're going to be dead. Um, so I'll wait at least an hour and I will, when I track, I will have an arrow knocked walking really slow. Usually you'll find them bedded down under a brush pile or something of that mm -hmm. nature trying to hide. And the moment I can see them and get an open shot, I shoot them again, whether they look like they're dead or not. Cause I've had it happen a, a handful of times where I thought, Oh, that bird just laying there dead, you know, because I thought his I was dead and, and gets up and runs away from me. Um, which is just a, whole nother frustrating situation so that's that's what i do that's what i recommend um so just always be ready to take a second shot until you uh until you know they're dead i love it matt this has been a pleasure i appreciate it i know we could go on and on and on and on and on um but you, you did a great job and we appreciate all of your knowledge and we'll be talking in the future on it on behalf of that, if you have any questions, come into the shop. Uh, we'll get uh, permission from Matt uh, as far as communication from the shop to him. Maybe we'll have him in here doing some seminars and stuff like that. But on behalf of everybody here at Archery Country, we appreciate you listening, and uh, we look forward to future podcasts. we got a ton of great ones coming on, everything from bow companies and arrows and uh, what's going there, and we'll give you a little turkey update during season. But, Matt, thank you a bunch, and on behalf of everybody here at Archery Country, we'll see you down the road. Thank you for listening to Archery Country Podcast. 